Amen. Thank you, all of you guys, guys and gals. Good morning, brothers and sisters. In, uh, in just a minute, I think the house lights will come up a little, so I'll be able to see you guys right now, mostly in a dark fog. Oh, I'm beginning to see you now. Well, uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Slade Reinhardt. I'm the director of Grow and Connect Ministries here at Fellowship Bible Church, and I want to thank all of you for being here. As you heard during the announcements, we do have some, uh, some family business we need to take care of. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so I, but before I get to the sermon, I want to update you on some of the things that are happening in the church right now because I know there are a lot of moving parts and in talking to uh, various people in the congregation, I discovered there was a lot of confusion about what next steps we're actually taking as a church. So uh, first, let me talk a little bit about this, uh, this Matt Taylor guy. Uh, I will remind you again tonight, uh, uh, starting at 6 o'clock, ending at 6.20. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I don't remember the ending time, but uh, starting at 6 o'clock, there is going to be a meet and greet. For those of you who don't know Matt or don't know him well and want to know him better, it's going to be in the church office building over this way uh, for this for us old-timers, what we call the Old Sanctuary, room 201 in the church office building. So uh, I do invite you to uh, take part in that. So what, what Matt is being hired to do, Matt, is the, we've tried to be careful about the wording, but uh, something I, I don't think we thought about was the fact that the, the wording of the title isn't necessarily helpful. So he is being hired to be the interim executive pastor but uh, a lot of people, when they hear executive, they think, well, I mean, executive's the top, so I, he must be the new lead pastor, at least on an interim basis. And, and that's not the case. Uh, the executive pastor is responsible for directly managing and overseeing the staff of the church. So uh, let me just read a few things here that, that Matt will be responsible for. Overseeing strategic goals, evaluation of ministries, establishment of goals for each ministry, uh, Identifying and, implement, and implementing improvements to procedures and systems to assist staff in becoming more effective and efficient. And also, and this is the pastor part of this executive pastor thing, uh, he will be responsible for basically being a pastor to the staff. So he will help support us uh, with encouragement, counsel, guidance as needed, that kind of thing. Uh, the, it, it might have, may, maybe it'll help. You with your understanding, if you think of it as administrative pastor, I don't know if that helps or not. But so when you hear in the future, when you hear this term executive pastor, that's what that is about. It's uh, Matt will be filling part of the role that Adam was feel, filling when he was here full time. So <clears throat> the reason for the need for that hire, of course, is that we have had a lot of staff departures, and so we just need we just need help in this time of transition. So Matt graciously offered to do that for us, and uh, it looked like the Lord's timing for an opportunity and a connection there, so that's why we're moving forward on that. I will remind you also, because this is a pastoral position, we are required to get feedback from the congregation. Uh, I mean, we'd like to anyway. I don't mean to say that like we're doing it just because we have to. Uh, so you, you should have, this week, you should have received an email with a link to an evaluation form that you can fill out, and we need any feedback in by July 4th, which is a week from today. Uh, and, and also, let me add this. It, it's very similar to the form that we use for uh, elders and deacons when, when they're being nominated to come onto the board of trustees. 
So I'll, I'll add what we usually add with them as well. If, even if you don't have anything, you know, like a concern or a red flag, which, which I, I really don't anticipate, but if you have any positive feedback, please share that. You know, man, I think Matt's a great guy. He's very faithful, very strong, very godly man. Whatever you'd like to say that would encourage him, he would appreciate that. And, of course, we would appreciate hearing that as well. So uh, before I move on to the next thing, let me just pause. Do we understand... Matt's position, and you can just do this if you want. So, I'll, I'll, and I guess another underlying thing. So, you will not immediately begin seeing Matt in the in the pulpit regularly. Uh, in fact, because it's a part-time position, his hours are by and large going to be used up with that. I'm not saying he won't be in the pulpit again, but uh, he is not becoming the new lead pastor. That was not his interest either. <laughs> so, that would have been a shock to him as well. Okay, so that's, that's what's happening with Matt. That's the executive pastor position. So in addition to that, we, uh, the board, and I, I, I will say we, and I think I've mentioned this to you guys before, I am a junior elder non-voting, so I get to go to all the elder and trustee meetings, and uh, they, they actually let me talk as well. I appreciate that. They really give me a lot, give me a lot of uh, agency in that. Uh, one of the things we've been talking through is during this time of transition at FBC, as you, you know, you, you guys that have been here for a while, you know that, that Todd Malone was our lead pastor for four years, and then he resigned in December, and then uh, Tyler Ellison, who was over our mu music ministry for years, uh, uh, resigned in uh, Easter Sunday was his last Sunday, and then recently Adam McMahon, who was for many years our executive pastor and, and pastor of uh, young adults and small groups and that kind of thing, he uh, left in May. So during this time of transition, we decided, you know what, it might be a good idea if we as a church just kind of stepped back and figured out, okay, who are we and who do we want to be and how can we get to that area, or at least aiming toward that area, before we hire the next lead pastor. So uh, what we are looking at doing is hiring an interim lead pastor. So he would be filling the role that Todd Malone Build for the, the previous four to five years. And the ministry that we're working with, they have an intentional process that their pastors take a congregation through. So they really dig in and figure out, you know, hey, how's everybody doing? Where is everybody going? What's happening? What do you want to do? They help us to assess our church health. They help us uh, to increase that church health. Uh, he would help us to recognize blind spots because, you know, that's the thing with blind spots. You don't see them, right? Uh, they wouldn't be a blind spot. Uh, and look for any areas of dysfunction or lack of health in the congregation or in our structure and the way we do business. Basically, an assessment of the church culture of Fellowship Bible Church and then help us to work toward health and strength so that then we are ready for the next lead pastor to step in without having to redo all that groundwork. So all that to say, in the coming weeks, you may hear something about that. So if you hear the term interim pastor with nothing else added, what we mean is interim lead pastor. That is something that we're looking at. It's not set in stone, but we're, we're looking into that. So is that clear-ish? Okay. All right. So that's, that's uh, what's happening. We, oh, by the way, we'll add this. The, uh, we are going to get together and try to put together a, a timeline and a diagram that kind of explains all this a little bit better. And very soon, we hope to have a congregational meeting where you'd have the chance then to ask questions and, and get more direct feedback to your, to your uh, confusion that you might have. 
Okay, so that's, that's all of that business. Now let's move on to something even better. Today, we are starting a five weeks of prayer campaign. I gave you a little bit of a preview last week. It's an opportunity as well as an exhortation to all of us as a congregation to join together over the next five weeks and just really focus on praying. Uh, as you know, as, a, as I've been talking about, we're in a time of significant transition and we want the Lord to do the work that he wants to do through all of that. Because one of the reasons that God makes us uncomfortable is because he is growing us either in our trust in him or teaching us something new or leading us to areas where we haven't been before. So my encouragement is for all of us to join together, to ask for his wisdom, to ask for his grace and guidance. And most of all, let's, as a body of Christ, draw closer to the Lord. Starting next week, uh, there will also have a three to five minute segment in each service where we will have the opportunity to pray just with the people around you uh, as you're comfortable. I know some people it would be weird to pray out loud. As you guys know, I have a Pentecostal background, so as I was explaining to uh, some guys on the trustee board, growing up, anytime somebody was praying, everybody was praying. There was, there was no such thing as just one, one person praying at a time. So even now, when somebody's up here praying at the beginning of service or when Daryl was praying, I'm also I'm praying. I'm praying more quietly than I would in, in my uh, Assemblies of God days because I don't want to disturb those around me. But uh, where was I going with that? <laughs> praying. Oh, yeah. So, so I realize not everybody's pray, uh, comfortable just praying out loud uh, around other people. But... We encourage you to kind of step out of that comfort zone uh, and just encourage you, look, there's not going to be any judgment. Feel free to be real. And uh, concurrent with this five weeks of prayer campaign, we're going to be preaching through the Lord's Prayer. But before I get to that, thanks to this slide is reminding me. So behind me, you'll see the focuses for each of the seven days of the week. And those will just repeat through all five of these weeks. So Sundays, we're encouraging you to pray for the church, spiritual life and health of the body, this Sunday, the next Sunday, the next Sunday, so on and so forth. Same with Mondays through Saturdays. And one of the things we hope to encourage you guys to do is to pray with others when you do this. If you have a, you know, if you're living with, say, some roommates, you get together with your roommates and do that. Your, your kids get together with them and do that. Maybe your small group, maybe some men or women that you regularly meet with. But let's pray in community as a body of Christ and let's call upon the Lord for his, for his grace and mercy. Okay, so now we will actually wade into the sermon. And here's how we will open up that. We are going to read the Lord's Prayer together out loud. So this will give you guys a little bit of practice of praying out loud uh, for those of you who weren't blessed with a Pentecostal background. All right, follow along with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen and amen. All right, well, now we're going to start the sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, not being a creative type, I just called it the Lord's Prayer. So that'll be easy to remember. What we're going to do with the Lord's Prayer is go through it just piece by piece. So it's going to be a, a six-Sunday series. 
just looking at one phrase or a couple of phrases at a time. And when I say we, I'm referring to myself, C.J. White, who preached for us a few months ago, and Jordan Johnson, our student ministries director, all will be joining uh, this series with me. This morning, I'm going to focus on the opening phrase, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. But before I delve into that phrase more closely, I do want you to think about this question. What is prayer? And if, if somebody's brave, they can even shout out an answer. What is prayer? Okay, excellent. Yes, y'all are all orthodox. Thank you. Good job. I, I, was, I was hoping that's where you would go. That's, that's usually our understanding, a very orthodox, evangelical understanding of prayer is talking to God. And that is a great definition of prayer. It's a great, great way of understanding it. Uh, but I do want to share with you a fuller definition that I ran across a few years ago by former pastor Tim Keller, longtime pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City. He defines that prayer this way to kind of better encapsulate all that prayer is. Prayer is a personal, communicative response to the knowledge of God. So prayer is personal. It's, it's each of us as a person. We're talking to this tri-personal God. It is communicative. We are saying something, thinking something. We're communicating something. And it's a response to the knowledge of God, which is, which is why the more you grow in your knowledge of God, the deeper and stronger and broader and more intense your prayers will be because we respond to what God has revealed of himself. But as a shorthand, talking to God is, that is excellent. Prayer is us responding to God's revelation of himself and it includes praise, petition, lament, intercession, thanksgiving, and more. Prayer is a necessary and foundational aspect of the Christian life. So as we slowly walk through the Lord's Prayer over these next six Sundays, I pray that the Lord Jesus Christ will, in this season, revive us, his people, in our prayer lives and strengthen us in our faith and knowledge of him. I mentioned that we're going to use the Lord's Prayer uh, as the basis for this series. I'll, give it more, I'll make it more specific. It's the version of the Lord's Prayer that's found in Matthew chapter 6. As you know, it's also in Luke chapter 11. And in Matthew chapter 6, this prayer comes right in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. So you'll recall what happened there. Jesus kind of withdrew from the crowds and called his disciples to himself. Undoubtedly, a lot of the crowds also followed, sat down on a hillside, and began teaching his disciples about what it means to live in his kingdom, to live under his kingship. And this uh, Lord's Prayer actually shows up in a section that begins this way. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Don't practice your devotion to God. Don't practice your obedience to God for the sake of being seen by others. And after laying out that general principle, Jesus then looks at three specific areas of religious practice. He looks at giving, he looks at praying, and he looks at fasting. But he spends the most time talking about prayer and, of course, the Lord's Prayer is part of that section on prayer. So this prayer is a backdrop for why Jesus is saying this here. This prayer is part of what Jesus taught his disciples about living under his kingship. And before he says this is how you should pray, he gives two examples of how you should not pray. 
In 6.5, he says, you must not be like the hypocrites, Matthew 6.5. You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So the first thing Jesus says about prayer is, don't pray to impress other people. Don't pray to be seen by other people. Don't pray as a way of promoting yourself. It's hypocritical since you're acting like you're praying to God when you're really just trying to make yourself look better. Now, when you hear that phrase, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others, it's possible that you thought of a specific person that you have known or currently know that does that very thing. You know those people. They pray to look good. They fashion these glorious and grand prayers that are very impressive and long to try to impress the people around them. And it may be that you're one of those people. I know I have been from time to time. As a matter of fact, all of us are tempted toward this whenever we're praying in public. If you get asked to pray in front of a group, part of your mind is thinking about, what are they thinking about what I'm praying? If I say this particular word or phrase, well, man, these folks are really going to be impressed. I want them to know that I really, I'm really tight with God. I really know the Bible well. And Jesus says very clearly, don't do that. That is hip- hypocrisy, hypocrisy. As my old pastor's dad used to say, that's hypocrisy. It's sinful and it dishonors the Lord. And the second thing he says about wrong praying is don't babble. Do not babble. He says, do not heap up long empty, excuse me, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. So first he said, don't pray like the hypocrites. And then he says, don't pray like the Gentiles. Now you know who the Gentiles are. That's almost all of us in here. So that's our heritage of prayer, babbling, because our ancestors, before they were brought to the gospel, prayed to their gods in this way, heaping up empty phrases. Pagan prayer is similar to a magic spell. If you say the right words and if you say them enough times, then what you're asking for will be granted. Pagan prayer flows from the attitude that God or this God that they're praying to needs some convincing to hear them, needs some convincing to listen to them. Needs, you need some kind of a push in order to get him on your side. And Jesus said that that kind of praying is worthless and useless. Now, Christians are susceptible to this also, even when we're praying in private. We can disengage when we're praying and just start throwing out a lot of words without sincerity. A lot of us, of course, that are, have been believers for years, we know a lot of verbiage, that's used in prayers, we know a lot of scripture, so we can just disconnect our minds and start throwing out words that we know or that we think God would want to hear. But just as true worship must be in spirit and in truth, true prayer must be in spirit and truth as well. It must engage your person in communicating with this God, and it must be according to the truth that he's revealed. We must pray sincerely, not mindlessly repeating a bunch of words. It isn't the quality or quantity of our words that cause God to hear our prayers. It is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So then Jesus, after saying, don't pray like this and don't pray like this, he gives us this beautiful model prayer. But understand that he is not telling us to use this exact prayer every time we pray. As a matter of fact, outside of this instance and then the time in Luke 11, the other time the Lord's Prayer is recorded, Jesus never uses these exact words when he prays. The apostles never use these exact words when they pray. What Jesus is doing is laying out a template for us. 
pray like this. This is how you approach God in prayer. These are the kinds of things that you should pray about. These are the kinds of priorities for your prayer life. Now the address, the opening address of the prayer, our Father in heaven, is only four words in the English Standard Version, which was what I usually use. It's actually six words in the, in the original Greek. But these few words are foundational to truly Christian prayer. They're foundational to understanding prayer as a follower of Jesus Christ. So I want to draw your attention to three powerful truths that these words communicate. The first and most important is this, and this is where I'm going to spend the most time. In Christ, we can pray to God as Father. I love binary systems. I love systems where there's just two options. It's either this or it's that. It's just real simple. I love the symmetry of it. I love the simplicity and the minimalism of it. Like the binary number system, it consists of two digits. You have zeros and you have ones. You can just arrange those in different ways to get whatever number that you want. A light switch is either on or off. Now, if you're real careful, I don't know if you've ever tried this, you can just very carefully kind of balance them right in the middle. But when they're in the middle, it doesn't turn the light on or off. So the light switch is either on or off. And the Christian faith is binary in a lot of ways as well. Either you're living under God's wrath or you're living under his favor. Either you're part of the domain of darkness or you're part of the kingdom of the beloved son, Jesus Christ. And there's a binary way to, excuse me, there's a binary aspect to the way we relate to God in prayer. In other words, there is a right way and there is a wrong way. And if you have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, know that your life has changed. Your reality has changed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, the new has come. Your identity has changed from child of disobedience to child of God. But we don't always pray to God in a way that's consistent with these truths. And here's what I'm getting at. When you're united to Jesus Christ through faith, when you have believed in his perfect life, his atoning death, and his victorious resurrection, then your fundamental relationship with God is as a beloved child. That's Jesus' fundamental identity. He is God the Son. He is the Son of God eternally and always. So when we trust in him and are therefore brought into union with him, son becomes our fundamental identity. And that's why Jesus tells us to pray like this, our father in heaven. Yes, God is a king. Yes, God is the judge. Yes, God is your friend. But your fundamental relationship to God, once you have trusted Christ, is a child, is a son or daughter. God is primarily your father, but very often believers approach God as something else than a father. And so the binary aspect of prayer I was talking about is this, approaching God as father the right way or approaching God as some other role, which would be the wrong way. Jesus begins his model prayer with the most important facet of our prayer relationship, the fact that we are children of God, the fact that God is now our father. Father is a term of purse close. Close personal, not purse closenal. Close personal connection. It speaks of tenderness. It speaks of care and wisdom. And most of all, it speaks of undying, fierce love. It expresses our affection. It expresses our trust and our faith in God when we call him trust. Now, when we call him Father. My apologies. See, I look away from my notes and then my mind disappears. 
It expresses our affection, trust, and faith in God to call him Father. Please strike that uh, typo from the record. Now, uh, before I go on with this concept, I do want to address an issue that always comes up when you're thinking about God as Father. And that is that many of you experienced a negative picture of what a father is. Many of you had fathers that were ungodly men, selfish men, men that maybe abused you, abandoned you, berated you, and certainly didn't show you love and care. And so when that is your experience, your, your visceral reaction to hearing God as father, your emotional level reaction to hearing God as father may be, I, I don't know if I can get next to that. That doesn't seem very... That doesn't seem very loving to me because the picture I have of father is distant, is cold, is mean, is uncaring. And I understand that completely. I understand that uh, years of abuse or years of emotional distance will cause that kind of emotional reaction in you when you think of God as father. But if you're struggling with embracing God as your father... Let me just encourage you to think about it this way. And, and I recognize that me saying this is not going to automatically remove that gut level reac reaction that you may have. But I hope that it helps you start working toward that anyway. If your father was a terrible father and you recognize that, you, you are hurt by it, you're bitter or angry about it, then you at the very least have some understanding of what a father should be because you recognize what my father was was not good, was bad. He was not truly a father to me. So at some level, you do have a recognition, okay, a father should be different than this. So what I'm encourage you to think about is to think and lean into the concept that, okay, what should a father be like? A father should be loving. A father should be forgiving. A father should be caring. A father should be protecting. And what I'm saying to you is that father embraced by, excuse me, revealed by Jesus Christ is that. He is all of that. He is the absolute perfect father whose love is perfect and undying. So I would say to you that if you do struggle with that, focus on, meditate on the attributes of God revealed in Scripture that show him to be a good father. One song we regularly sing is, He is a good, good father. And I know that song has a lot of repetition that can drive some people like me crazy, but... The point is, that is a concept we need to grip tightly. God is a good father. Now, I had, by God's mercy and grace, I had a great dad, a dad who showed me love and affection. But, of course, he wasn't a perfect dad. He had aspects of his personality that were, that were wrong and that were sinful. And so, because of that, I did also import some of those ideas into my relationship with God, thinking, okay, I know God loves me. I know God cares for me. But, man, when I mess up... He's right on the verge of flying off in the handle and just really laying it to me, okay? So I had to work through some of that as well. But I realized that if you've had trauma in your life from your relationship with your father, it's at a completely different level. And uh, I, I offer you my, my compassion for that. And let me say that if that is you this morning, when service ends, please come up here and share that with someone on the prayer team or reach out to another believer. We would love to pray with you, to love you through that, and to pray that God would reveal himself to you as the perfect father that we all long for. So, brothers and sisters, Jesus is telling us that we can address God the same way he addressed him. And why can Jesus do that? Why can Jesus say, okay, you're my followers, you call him father also? 
Well, it's because Jesus is the unique and eternal Son of God, because Jesus gives to us the right and privilege of adoption. John 1 says that all who believed him, all who received him, he gives the right to become children of God. Galatians 3.26 says, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Through Christ, you and I have received the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Think for a minute about what that means. Think what it means that we can call on God as our Father. It means that God delights in hearing from us. It means that God enjoys communing with us. God is happy for us to be completely dependent on him. Moms and dads, you know it gives you joy when you can help your children. It gives you joy when you can provide for them. It gives you joy when you can give them everything that, everything that they need. And the Father, even more so, delights to bless you, delights to love you, delights to give you what you need. Jesus said at one point that we who are evil by nature know how to give good gifts to our children, so how much more does the Heavenly Father enjoy giving good things to His children? The Father never tires of hearing your voice. The Father is never annoyed with you. The Father is never at the end of His rope with you. I know that human moms and dads can get to where their children are annoying them. They can get to where they're grating on their nerves. You all, you, all of us growing up, you know what's happening if your mom ever says, you're on my last nerve, what do you do? You give a wide berth. Yes, you get, get, evacuate the area. But God does not run out of patience. God is not annoyed by us. God is not irritated by us. God is not on his last nerve with us. <clears throat> God doesn't roll his eyes and say, man, this, this lady just cannot get it together. She's always making a wreck of things. I am so sick of dealing with her. God doesn't say, this guy just cannot get past this sin. He will not do the hard things it takes to fight this sin. He keeps giving in and falling. I'm done with him. God doesn't do that. He says, this is my child. This is my son. This is my daughter, and I love them now and forever and always with a perfect and pure love. No matter what your life is like, <clears throat> excuse me, no matter what your life is like, no matter how well or how poorly you are doing at living out the life of Christ, when you come to God, his arms are wide open as your father, and he is loving you and accepting you and receiving you. So I'll wrap this point up with an illustration that I got from Tim Keller, whom I mentioned earlier. He mentioned that one of the wrong ways that Christians relate to God is instead of as a father more like a landlord. <clears throat> so it's like, okay, yes, I live in your house, and there's a contractual relationship between us. So I pay the rent, and I don't tear things up, and you provide this house for me, and you fix any appliances that break, and then we get along just fine. And so if that's your attitude, if that's your approach to God, then whenever things don't go your way, you're likely to be confused or upset. Well, oh God, I, you know, I gave to the church last month. I prayed every day. I read my Bible. You're not holding up your end of the bargain. You know, I've got a broken washer, and you, you haven't replaced the washer. But if you see, see him as father, part of his family, then when you approach God, it is not in a cold way of, okay, I've done this, now you do this. It's in a warm, personal way of, God, I love you. 
I trust you. I want to be near you. And when your prayers are not answered in the way you expect or opposite of what you expect, you're still able to say, you are my father, you are wise, you are loving, and I can trust that what you're doing is good and right. In Christ, we can call on God as Father. We know that God doesn't owe us anything and that our obedience to Him doesn't purchase answered prayers. Let's look to God as our Father and not our landlord. Let's praise Him for every blessing and spend time loving Him, not just asking Him for things. The opening phrase, our Father in Heaven, also tells us that all believers are part of a community. In the society in which we live, as well as, honestly, the, the religious heritage which we are all swimming in, American evangelicalism, it's very easy to fall into an individualistic view of your walk with the Lord. We can see the church as unnecessary or maybe even a hindrance to our spiritual lives. The main thing is, is how am I doing? How is my spiritual life doing? How am I growing in Christ? It's all about just, just me and God, one-on-one. -on -one. But the Lord makes it clear that that's wrong because he says we should pray our Father, not my Father, our Father. Now, I realize that there are times in Scripture when people do say, do pray my Father. That's certainly not wrong. The point of the model prayer is to remind us that we are part of a community, that we're not walking this Christian life alone. We're part of the church. We're recognizing that we have brothers and sisters who share in this relationship to God as Father. It underscores the corporate nature of the Christian life. And the rest of the Lord's Prayer actually follows this pattern because throughout it, He never uses the first person singular. It's never I, it's always the, the first person plural, us. Give us, forgive us, lead us. Not only are you united to Christ through faith, but you're also united to other believers. 1 Corinthians 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. There, as I mentioned, there's nothing wrong with using I or me in your prayers. The Bible's full of prayers like that. But Jesus wants us to remember that we are not alone in this walk of grace. It's a guard against selfishness, prompting us to pray not just for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters. It's a reminder that you have people around you to help you with your struggles and trials. Our Father, our Father, acts as a deterrent to rivalry and envy within the church. I may disagree strongly with other people in the church. I may not like their personalities or their attitudes, but we're all children of the one God. We are all children of the same Heavenly Father. The last truth I want to bring to your attention that this opening address gives us is that prayer is addressed to a Heavenly Father. Through faith in Jesus, our Lord, we are given the awe-inspiring privilege of calling on God, the Father, as our Father. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He adds one more phrase to this opening address. Our Father in heaven. Now, why do you think he added that phrase in heaven? I mean, it, it seemed to just lay nicely. Our Father. Just, just move on from there. Why did Jesus add 
in heaven? What is it he's trying to get us to keep in mind? Or what is he trying to teach us? What does in heaven add to our prayer life? Well, for one thing, it points us toward the fact that this God who is our Father is also the mighty King of the universe. When we call on our Father, we're calling on someone who is all-powerful and all-knowing. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Our Father is able to help in any and every situation. When we go to the Father with a need, we shouldn't have any doubt that He's able to meet the need. He may choose to address it in ways we don't expect, but we don't have to worry that he's going to struggle with the complexity or the difficulty of whatever we're facing. Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? No matter what you face in life as a believer, you face it with the Lord God on your side. So be encouraged, be strengthened, be emboldened by the truth that our God is our Father and he is in heaven. He is entirely superior to us in every way. And in an act of boundless mercy, this eternal, infinite being has chosen to adopt us into his family through faith in his Son. I think Jesus wants us to be reminded of the grace that was given to us to be the children of the Father in heaven. That phrase should spark gratitude in our hearts, the humble gratitude that those who know, excuse me, the humble gratitude of those who know they've received what they don't deserve and could never earn. The main idea I want to get across to you today, as I mentioned earlier, is this. When you pray, approach God as your heavenly Father. If you're feeling angry, even angry with God, talk to Him as your Father. If you're disappointed, talk to Him as your Father. If you're sad or lonely or scared or confused, talk to God as your Father in heaven. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't always feel this truth. As a matter of fact, just yesterday when I was praying, <laughs> see my Pentecostal background, the emotions just, man, they stir. <clears throat> see if I can compose myself. Yesterday as I was praying, I was, I was self-aware that, God, I, I, don't, I don't feel like you're my father right now. I'm not feeling your love. I, I'm just, it's not just welling up within me. I'm not like feeling this overwhelming sense of, of peace and, and love and security it doesn't feel like you're my father right now. But what I would encourage you to do, that I eventually did, is to believe anyway. To keep trusting that he is your father. Because that revelation given to us by Jesus Christ will never change. There's nothing you can do to cause any ripple in it. If you have trusted Christ, God is your father even when you're not feeling it. It doesn't depend on your consistency, your strength, or even your spiritual maturity. It depends on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Since I have trusted in him, I can approach him as father anytime and every time, regardless of what's going on. So no matter what you're feeling, keep calling on God as your father. You don't need to be guarded in what you say with him. Don't think that you have to say the right things or that you need to mask what you're feeling I was talking to Jordan Johnson this past week about the book of Psalms and how there are so many prayers in Psalms that are just very raw, very, God, I am, I am upset about this. I hate this situation. I'm bitter. I'm angry. I'm far from you. Just open and real. And God gave us the book of Psalms. So what God is telling us, when you come to me in prayer, just open up your heart. Just pour everything that's within you out before me. And I will love you, and I will accept you, and I will give you my grace. 
When you pray, approach God as your heavenly Father. Here's a few ways I would suggest for how you could take this truth and work it more deeply into your life. One suggestion would be this week, pray the Lord's Prayer as a prayer to the Father. Don't just recite it, actually pray it. Now one thing that might help you do this would be to take it phrase by phrase and then use each phrase as a springboard to widen your prayer. And here's what I mean like this. Suppose you start our Father in heaven. You say that to the Father sincerely. I'm praying this, our Father in heaven. But then you pray about the things that that phrase teaches you. Father, thank you that you have adopted me. Thank you that you sent your son to die in my place that he might give me his righteousness and adopt me into your family. Thank you that it is our Father. Thank you that there are brothers and sisters in Christ all around me with whom I can walk through this life. Thank you that you are in heaven. You are in charge. Nothing shakes you. Nothing scares you. Nothing can ultimately oppose you. Pray the Lord's Prayer to your Father this week. Not as empty words, not as a magical formula, but as a structure for giving to God Excuse me, as a structure for talking to God. Another thing I would encourage you to do is memorize 1 John 3, 1. I should have had this to put on the screen. I apologize. I'll just read it to you. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. What I love about that verse i mean i love the whole verse but at one point he says that we should be called children of god and so we are see that's the antidote to me sitting here going my i am not feeling like your child god the bible is saying you've trusted in christ you are a child of the father and finally i'd encourage you to tell someone how god the father adopts those who trust in his son you know we live in east texas a deep deep part of the bible belt and so most people run into would claim to be Christians, but my suspicion is, and my experience is, that many of them have no concept of an actual relationship, a personal, deep, intense relationship with God the Father. They don't have a concept that when you trust in Christ, you are adopted by the Father. Well, I'm going to stop there and give you guys a chance to get to the rest of your day. So if you'll all stand, I'll close this in prayer, and as I'm closing... The prayer team, I'll ask to come on forward and line up here in front of the stage. Our Father in heaven, we praise you today for giving us grace. We praise you, Lord, for the opportunity to hear from the tabers, this, these people whose hearts you have burdened for the people of Hungary and that part of the world. I pray, God, that you would, that you would use them to minister your word, to use them to build relationships, use them to give your grace to those around them. Lord, I thank you for reminding us that you are our Father. We can come to you with anything and everything. We can lean into your arms. We can fall on your mercy and grace and know that you will always pick us up. You will always embrace us. God, I ask that you would minister this truth to your people today. In a special measure of grace, grant that they may experience their sonship this week. Thank you again for this gathering, Lord. Thank you for all of these brothers and sisters in Christ and those watching online. In your holy name I pray, amen. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Have a great week.
Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all? Is it good to be reminded? 